If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. So I forgot to mention in my announcements that if you do decide to do a trunk, that you can decorate it and win the coveted golden pumpkin. There's also a gift card, which is probably more motivating than the golden pumpkin. Uh, But if that's something you're interested in, we do have like a decoration contest. Um, Let me pray and start this thing off the the right way and less about a golden pumpkin. God, thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. I pray that you take me and remove me from the equation um, and that your word is all that is heard today. Um, I pray that as we talk about why you created us, um, we can strive to go out and live for that purpose. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, My name is Pastor Josh. I typically do the youth stuff around here. um, And Dan does this uh, on most weeks. And Dan is out of town. He's visiting his grandkids. But if after today you're new here and you're like, man, I really didn't like the preaching, please come back next week. Uh, Because Dan will be back, and he's far better at it than I am. Uh, But Dan, when he was preparing this Bedrock series, we're going back to Bedrock and talking about some of the key things that we believe, he said, hey, I'm going to be out of town this week. Would you mind preaching on the question of, like, why do we exist? And I'm pretty sure that he asked me to answer the question, why? Because I have lots of children, and I get asked that question all the time. Last night, my wife and I took our kids and we went to uh, Ninja Golf down here, which if you've never played down there, they have a great little mini golf course there. But in the course of going there, playing golf, eating pizza, and coming home, here's just a few of the why questions I was asked. All right. Why do we need to stop at church? Why is there, door, why is there a door there? Why are there fires in buildings? Why do places close? Why do they quarry rocks? We were talking about the rock quarry over there. While we were uh, on our trip to Gatlinburg, one of my favorite why questions that I got asked, we went to this really cool underground cavern system, which if you've never, I think it's called Tuckalichi Caverns is how it's pronounced. Really, really cool. So if you ever go to Gatlinburg, you should check that out. But we went and did that. And my wife and I typically, when we go on vacation, try to have like one big thing we do as a family that costs a little bit more. And then we do a lot of hikes and things that are cheaper. And that's what we decided to do. But then we went down into Gatlinburg, like the, the actual town, and there's a big aquarium aquarium there. And my daughter sees this giant aquarium and gets all excited. And dad, look, there's an aquarium. And I'm like, yep. And she's like, well, are we going to go? And I'm like, no, mom and dad decided to go to the caverns. And she's like, well, why did you choose to do that? There's an aquarium. And I'm like, well, we thought, you know, you can go to an aquarium just about anywhere, but you can't get caves just about anywhere. And she's like, well, if I was mommy, we would have went to the aquarium. And so I I very quickly learned that apparently I picked it for Hannah and I to enjoy and not my kids. But that's okay. We enjoyed it. But today we're going to be answering the question, why did God create man? Kids use the question why to learn about the world. They ask it all the time because that's how we learn. And sometimes as adults, we stop asking that question. And we almost use it accusatorily, like, why'd you do that? You know, I do that with my kids. Like, they did something, they hit their brother or whatever. Why'd you do that? Um, As opposed to a learning question. But it is a great question, and it's a question we should ask us. God created us. Why did he go through the effort of doing that? And that's what we're going to try 
to tackle today. But before we can answer the why did God create us, we have to kind of understand what he did when he created us. So what did God actually do when he made mankind? Well, the first thing he did, we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We see right here, the very first thing is God created us in his image. As every other part of creation is mentioned, it says that God created the land and the sea and the earth and the sky and animals, but then it stops and it says in his image, he created you. From the very start, we are set apart as different. We are set apart as something that is special, as the only part of creation that is created in God's image. That's a pretty big deal. It's a big deal that God said, hey, hold up a second. When I create this part of creation, I'm setting it aside as something more than the rest of creation, more than the animals, more than the land. I am going to make man in my image. The second thing that he did when he created each one of us is that he made us very unique. Each one of us is different and for a purpose that is different from each other. And we see this in Psalms 139. It says, for you are formed, uh, sorry, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I want to pause right there for a second. He defines himself as one of God's works. And then the next phrase says, wonderful are your works. We are each made unique by God, which makes us each wonderful because we are a work of God. So when you're thinking, you know, our culture especially has a lot of emphasis on self-image and how you view yourself. This is one of the number one things you can think about yourself. I am wonderfully made by my creator on purpose. I wasn't made on accident. I wasn't made faulty. I am made the way God wanted me to be on purpose. If we continue reading, it says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. uh, Sorry. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, When, as yet, there is none of them. So basically, this verse could kind of cover my next point too, but it's saying that he created you, he made you very unique and wonderful, but he also made a plan for you. He has a purpose designed for you and your life, and he puts you on this earth for a reason. And that's kind of the, the third thing, and we see this in Ephesians too. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God made a plan and a direction and a course for your life. You, your job is to seek God and find out what that is. But ultimately, we're gonna talk about here in a second, the purpose behind why you were made affects how you live and do the things that God's created you for here on the earth. And I'll I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But, okay, Josh, I I get it. I get that, you know, God created each of us unique. He made us in his image. He has a plan for us. But that didn't really answer the whole why thing. Like, that was more of a what, um, which I get lots of those questions. That that beginning, there was only five of the why questions. There's probably a hundred more what questions that we got asked that evening. Um, But... That's the what God did, 
So let's talk about why he did that. So why did he take the time to put us in his image to make us unique and create a plan and a purpose for our life? And I'm not going to answer it yet. Um, the, the thing I'm going to answer are a couple misconceptions that people think. So we like to, as human beings, think we know everything. Um, and so we'll ask the question, why did God create us? And then we'll come up with our own answer. You know, maybe he made us because he needs us for some purpose. Maybe he made us in a whimsy, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second, you know, just as a, like a flippant, oh, I'm going to create mankind today. Um, but the first and probably one of the most common misconceptions as to why God made us is that he needs us. He needs our worship or he needs us to do things here on earth or he needs us so that we can somehow make him glorious. Uh, but in Acts, it says the God who made the world and everything in it, which we would be in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Okay, God doesn't need us. Now, that sounds pretty harsh to think like, okay, wait a second, like he doesn't need me. No, God doesn't need you to exist. God will continue to exist if you do not. God will be who he is completely and fully, whether you make the right choice or the wrong choice, whether you actually follow his leading and direction in your life or you don't. God doesn't need you, but wants to use you. And we see that all through the New Testament, that God created a plan for you, a purpose for you, so that he can use you, but that whole wanting to use you isn't for his benefit it's for yours. It's so that you can get to know the creator, that you can get to know the God of heaven who created you. So first thing, first misconception completely busted is that he doesn't need us. He might want to use us for our benefit, but he doesn't need us for anything. He doesn't need us to be more glorious, to be a creator, to uh, fulfill his plan. Those things will happen and are happening whether you choose to follow them or not. And the second thing is God didn't create us out of whimsy. We don't have a flippant God who just says, ooh, you know what sounds fun today? I'm gonna create people. And then whatever, right? That's not the God we serve. We saw, and I didn't put verses here because we just talked through what God did when he created us. You don't go through all of that of creating them in your image, creating them with a purpose and a plan and making them unique because you felt like it one day. You did it for a purpose and a plan, and we'll talk about what that purpose and a plan is here in a second, but I just, I want to caution you from the dangers of these two things. The first thing, the danger that you face if you start believing that God needs you is your pride begins to swell. And you begin to think more of yourself than you should. And we begin to put ourselves up there with God. If God needs me, then I have some sort of hold on God and I can tell him what to do. That's really, really, really dangerous to start believing that because it starts putting us in the wrong place and God in a much lower place than he deserves and should be. Whimsy, the danger of this one if that's true and God just was like, meh, there you go, people, um, then we have no worth. 
We have no value. Think of things that you did when you were a kid for no purpose. How many of those things did you save for the rest of your life? Probably none of them. I, I spent hours on projects as a kid, designing weird things and doing all sorts of dumb things with my brothers, and I didn't keep any of those things, let alone the things that I did on a whim, just for fun. I might have some bad memories from those times, but we don't keep those. We don't use things that happen on a whim. God didn't create us on a whim, and if he did, then our self-value, our worth, plummets to non-existence. And we, then, when we're reflecting on who we are, can't say I'm unique. We can't say I have a purpose. We can't say that I'm made in God's image. We would just say, yeah, it happened. That was an accident. And if we think I was made on a whim, then that's where we get where we're in our culture, where we struggle with who am I? Why do I exist? And we turns into depression because you have no worth. But if we look at truth and we see God gave us this worth, he gave us this purpose, this uniqueness, all of a sudden we have something to live for. We have a reason to be alive and I am so excited to dive into that reason. So why? Why then? That's the, the, you know, the misconception. Why then did God create us? In Isaiah 43, 7, it says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We are made for God's glory, not to increase it in any way, but to display it or shine a light on it. Now, what do I mean by that? If I live for God, fully and completely, when people see me, they shouldn't see, wow, Josh is really awesome. They should see Josh serves an awesome God. Okay. I display his glory. You look at me, you should see him. Paul lots of times in the New Testament says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. My wife actually showed me a goofy meme earlier this week that had like three different Spider-Man costumes. And one of them was like the masterful one in the, um, you know, in the Marvel universe. And it was like, this is Jesus. And then there was Paul wearing like the, the, the one where they always put together at the beginning of the movie where they like hand sew it and it looks really bad. And they're like, there's Paul. And then me was like a kid with a bag over his head and Spider-Man drawn on the front of it. Um, you know, and this is me imitating Paul as he imitates Jesus. But ideally, no matter whether you're the Paul version of Spider-Man or the, the bag over your head with Spider-Man on it, when they see you, they should see him. They shouldn't see you anymore. And this purpose fulfills everything that we were created to be. Not to increase it, but to display it. So what does that mean for me? Well, step number one, you have a purpose now. You're here for that purpose. God puts you on this earth as unique, as wonderfully made in his image for the purpose of glorifying God, of drawing that attention there, whether it is through, you know, working in your job at a factory, driving a forklift, or flying airplanes, or being up front speaking, or whatever your job is, your job is actually to glorify God through that job. Right, so you fill in your occupation, your hobbies, your family. My job isn't to just be a father to my kids. 
My job is that when my kids look at me, they see Jesus. My job is to be the father that points them to the heavenly father. My job as a youth pastor isn't to just be the funniest and throw enough candy that kids keep coming to youth group, right? My job is to glorify God. This, this afternoon, I'm going to go and I'm going to play paintball. I used to run paintball in a camp when I was younger. I enjoy playing paintball. But while I'm there playing paintball, my job isn't to just shoot every teenager I possibly can, although that's definitely going to happen, <laughs> all right? But my job is to help kids want to be part of the body of Christ, right? So that they want to keep coming back and I can point them to who God is. That's my job. I'm playing paintball today to glorify God. Thank you for giving me this job. I appreciate it, all right? You guys get to go home today and spend time with family members or friends or go back to work on Monday and you get to do whatever those things are to glorify God. You have a purpose, So let's go out and do it. Let's fulfill that purpose. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul uses very mundane things right here. Whether you're eating or drinking, he actually above in this passage is talking about um, meats that were offered to idols and there's a debate in the church on whether they should be allowed to eat those things or not allowed to eat those things. And he ends with this part as he kind of settles the debate among the Corinthians. He says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, it should be done for God's glory. So if you're over at somebody's house and they're eating or drinking this food that's offered to idols and you think that might be wrong, Before you partake, before you do anything, you're thinking, okay, what do I need to do in this situation to best glorify God? We might not have food that's offered to idols sold at Walmart, uh, but we do have situations that we get into where we're like, I'm not sure what to do. Well, step number one in deciding what you should or shouldn't do is will this shine a light on God's glory? Will this make people see Jesus through my choice? And if your answer is no, then the answer is no. If the answer is yes, then you can proceed on to some of your other questions as to whether you should do it or not. But number one is, will this bring God glory? So let's go out and fulfill that. That's in 1 Corinthians. In Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay? So I'm, I'm going to do a little illustration here, and then we'll talk a little bit more. But in a second, we're going to turn off all the lights. So husbands, if you're scared, your wives will hold your hands. It's okay. All right. But we're going to turn the lights off here. If you have kids that are scared, like give them a hug. It's a good chance to give your kid a hug. All right. So if I can get my guys in the back to turn off the lights. Uh, Yeah, it's going to take a second here. But we are designed to be a light. Not just any light. A light that when it turns on, can we go to my black screen real quick? Thank you. Awesome. It does this. All right. It brings your attention to something that's not you. All right. This light that's turned on behind me makes you see the cross. The first thing you see when you look up here isn't like, ooh, that's a pretty white color. It should be, oh, look, it's outlining Jesus. 
It's outlining what he did for us. It's outlining the God we serve. So when Jesus in Matthew says we are called to be a light to the world, that light should be pointed directly at God. All right, we can bring the lights back up. The way we glorify God is by shining a light on God. One of the, one of the phrases I came across that I really liked as I was studying, I said, God is most glorified in you when you are fully satisfied in him. So when we focus on our, our life being fully satisfied in God, then we most glorify our God. Now, what does that mean? I had another pastor a long time ago. It's actually written in the back of every one of my journals that I take notes with on Sunday mornings. I wrote this phrase. Am I satisfied if God were to take everything away from me except for his presence? It is a huge question because we have a lot of things in our lives we love. Is God enough for me? If I really think about that question, if God were to remove everything from my life, much like what he did in Job's life, would I be able to say I'm still satisfied in my relationship with God? I can honestly say that is a question I can't normally answer yes to because that is a huge struggle to be able to say, God, I fully trust you with everything in my life, right? My family is probably the thing that I love most in this world. And for me to say, if you took that away, I would still be satisfied in you would be really, really, really hard. But that's the type of satisfaction in God that we are striving for. Not that I want God to take my family away, but rather I need only God. We were created for the purpose of glorifying God in a way that shines light on him. And if that truly is our sole purpose, then everything we do each and every day should be striving towards completing that purpose. So I'm going to go through a couple of practical things. And this is a list that I found in uh, John MacArthur's study Bible on first Corinthians. This list is a practical list, but it's still general. All right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So each of you have your own individual lives and some of these things, like for instance, the last one there says spreading the word that looks different for each of us. For some of us, that might be a coworker that we've been trying to reach for Jesus. For some of us, that might be a family member. For some of us, it might be coming to trunk or treat and handing out the tracks at the beginning of the line. The way that this happens, you and only you can answer. What does it mean to trust God in your life? Does it mean that I need to trust God with a family relation that's strained? Does it mean that I need to trust God with my finances for my college? Does it mean that I need to trust God with my family member who's sick or my uh, parents who are driving me crazy or you fill in the blank because only you can fully answer that question. So as I go through this list, I want you to think which practical way this week, this is generic still, how can I tailor make it to me personally? How can I trust God this week? What can I do this week that would be bearing fruit for God? In John, it talks about how we're part of the vine and we all bear fruit and the parts that don't get trimmed off and uh, that way they can bear fruit. So what, what things am I doing right now in my life to strive at cultivating and growing and bearing fruit? 
Am I involved in the kids ministry or am I in the youth ministry or am I plugging in with small groups? Am I fill in the blank? Confessing sin, praying, thanking him. These three things all kind of can happen through the second one, right? You can pray and you can confess your sins. You can pray and you can be thankful. This is the the thanking him one. That's uh, one that I've been convicted of lately that a lot of times when I pray, I pray in a way that asks a lot of requests. I don't spend enough time stopping and saying, hey God, thank you for the things that you have given me. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for an awesome church. Thank you that I get to play paintball this afternoon. But a lot of times when we pray, we start off immediately spitting our requests out and saying, hey God, help me with this. Hey God, I need your help with this. Lord, can you please Those things are not wrong, but personally, I've been convicted lately that I don't spend enough time thanking him. We actually did this in my young adult small group that we have at my house the other day. We stopped, and before we prayed, I was like, hey, I want us to all go around and say, like, one thing we're thankful for. And I would encourage you, if if nothing else, today when you sit down for lunch, do that. As a family, sit and say, hey, pick three things that you are thankful for today. That is a practical way for you as parents who have little kids or even you as a husband or a wife to shine the light on God. It's not what was fun today, which isn't a bad question either, but it's how can I shine that light on God? How can we be thankful to God today as we sit and we eat our lunch? Suffering for Christ. This is one we don't. Dan's been talking about this one a lot lately. Um, And we are promised in scriptures that we will suffer for Christ. And we're promised that it will glorify God. Sometimes it's hard for us in the middle of a suffering time to to see how God is being glorified. But those who are around us see how we respond and we react to these sufferings that come into our lives. And that in and of itself can shine light onto Jesus when you're suffering and you have a coworker who doesn't know anything about Jesus and can't believe what is going on in your life. And your first response is, I am so thankful that I have a God who's helping me through this. They see Jesus. They see something that they don't have. And maybe, hopefully, they want. Being content. That one, as Americans, we struggle with. Contentment is something we, as a general populace, lack. We lack a, I'm good with what God's given me today. We always want more. We always want the next thing. And I know personally, Amazon packages, I don't know how many of you guys use Amazon. Does anybody use Amazon in here? You get it delivered in like a day sometimes. I ordered some lights for a camper the other day. It came in the next day, which is like, I definitely don't need to go to Walmart anymore. It'll just come to my door. Um, but I know when I save up my money to, to buy something, I, I really enjoy hunting. So a lot of times it involves something to do with hunting. Um, so I save up my money and I get these new range finder or new whatever it happens to be. And I'm super excited about it. And it comes in the mail through Amazon and I get super duper excited about it. I talk to my wife like a million times about it. And she's like, look, I've heard about it enough. Can you just stop? Right? And then it gets here. Guess what I start doing? Saving for the next thing. Right? That is who we are as consumers. We've been trained to never be content with what we have. 
My wife can probably attest when I get that thing in, whatever it happens to be, the amount of times I talk about it goes down steadily pretty quickly. I drive her crazy about it in the weeks to come while I'm saving up for it. And then it's like, he doesn't even care about it anymore. Are you content with what God has given you? And then we already talked about spreading the word. Going forward, if you join your small groups this week, or if you just have a discussion with your family at the table, there's going to be questions uh, for the small group leaders, but these are also great questions that you can ask yourself and your family. But the, the first one is like, what are some of the dangers of believing those two uh, misconceptions about why we were created? What pitfalls can you fall into if you think we were made for no purpose out of whimsy? Or what pitfalls can you fall into if you start believing that God needs us for some purpose or another? You could discuss that. It's not a bad thing, remember, to, to sit and take some time and say, hey, God's awesome. Remember that? Like, let's not talk about ourselves for a minute. Let's, let's talk about how, why God's awesome. And then the, the big one that I want to challenge you as you go to your small groups or even in your families is to take this list, which if you don't have this list written down, we do have note sheets that are out there in a little basket. This one I intentionally didn't put blanks under uh, so that you can take it home and you can discuss, hey, how as a family can we trust God this week? How can I personally bear some fruit this week? And you go through that list as a family or in your small group, small group leaders, that question is, how can you practically do it? Use this to prompt the discussion. I did most of the work for you. I can't make you talk about it, right? I I tried to put it on a piece of paper. Only you can take it out these doors and talk about it again. I hope you do. I hope that when you get home, you take some time to fulfill your purpose and say, hey, God, you're awesome. Hey, my kids, don't look at me as your father. Look at me as somebody who's pointing at Jesus. As you go home, give it a try. That's my encouragement. That's my, actually, I hate that phrase. I'm sorry. Don't give it a try. Do it. Um, I, we were driving the other day down the road, and I passed a church that said, this is a great time to give church a try. I hate that phrase. Don't give church a try. Jesus is not something you just try. Uh, he is a lifestyle. So I take it back. Don't try it. Do it. All right, Um, but let me pray, and I'm going to invite our worship team back up, Um, and I think we're going to sing that Graves in the Gardens song again. God, thank you. Thank you for creating us unique and with a purpose and with a plan and in your image. Thank you for giving us the purpose of uh, of shining light on your glory Um, I pray that as we go forward and we strive to do that in our workplaces or with our families, that you you bring that fulfillment that comes from fulfilling our purpose. Um, You know who we are, you know what we need, and you created us for this purpose. And I pray that, uh, yeah, that you help us fulfill that purpose. I pray this in your name. Amen. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.